It's Thursday, August 4th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, sitting in for Chris Hill this week. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Hidden Gems, Charlie Travers, from Motley Fool Global Gains, Tim Hansen, and from Motley Fool Asset Management, Bill Mann. Guys, welcome. Hey, Mac. Mac. Hey, Mac. On today's show, we're going to talk about a biotech stock that's getting absolutely hammered. We're going to talk about Adidas' big surprise, and we'll have some fashion advice for the founder of Facebook. But we begin with the market's big sell-off on Thursday. Tim Hansen, it sharp is sell-off, Max. Sharp, sharp sell-off. Let's call it a sharp sell-off. Okay, sharp as opposed to big. It's ugly out there. <laughs> don't, don't make people panic. What, what, what's your take? You know, uh, you know, we've seen something like this coming down the pike uh, uh, for some time. Obviously, we don't time the market. I couldn't have told you what day it was going to happen. But the fact is that the numbers coming out of the global economy haven't supported the types of valuations we've been seeing in the stock market. You know, and that's a problem that's only been exacerbated by the drama, you know, around the recent debt ceiling debate, the European debt issues, China's municipal debt issues. Um, so there are a lot of a lot of problems out there. People are seeking safety, and they're not finding it really anywhere. And that's why you're seeing all these asset classes today just get hammered. I don't think people know what to do. And if I'm having problems sleeping at night because of my portfolio, you should not be investing money that you need to spend in the next year. You cannot invest money that uh, emotionally you can't withstand seeing the balance fluctuate around. I mean, you know, the point of this is that great companies are a great long-term investment. But the guarantee of the stock market, in addition to that, is that you're going to get a lot of volatility. And so the only way to, to, to be able to, to stand that and sleep at night is to, be able, is to have money on the sideline to cover your spending needs and additional money in the stock market that you don't need for a long time. And as you near retirement and you need that money, you take it out of stocks and put it into something safer like bonds or cash, at least things that are more likely to hold their value. And we move from the stock market downturn to the big deal of the day, news that Kraft plans to split itself into two publicly traded companies. One company will focus on the snack business. That includes things like Oreos, Trident Gum, Cadbury. The other will focus on the North American grocery business, which includes Kraft Cheese and Maxwell House Coffee. Tim, what do you make of the news? I think this is a, this is a good decision by Kraft. You know, leaving aside the fact that there's some fees and, and costs associated with a breakup like this, ultimately this is a good decision and, and one I think there are a lot of companies out there that could follow. You know, the, the gist here is that you've got sort of an income-producing, low-growth, low-margin North American grocery business versus a sort of very global, high-growth, high-margin branded foods business. You know, and one should be reinvesting capital, growing quickly, and 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 doing that. The other should sort of be spinning off cash flow to shareholders. And so you're going to end up with a nice dividend company in the North American business and a, and a sort of global growth emerging markets type company in, in the, uh, the other business. And, and people can buy either one now. And ultimately, I think, separate, they'll be worth more than they are worth together because the multiple on one will rise and other people will value uh, the North American business on yield. Yeah, I think this is kind of a, almost a riskless move for Kraft because they've got two brand portfolios that are very, very strong. They're not going to be impacting either one of them by spinning the business out. And you know, as Tim said, people can focus on which segment of the, the business that they like more. And Kraft can do the same thing when they're allocating capital. And that's, uh, to me, it's a great move. So which of those two companies would you invest in? Would you go groceries or would you go snacks? I'd go I'd go the branded snack global growth story. You know, I think that's a I like the the higher growth they're getting abroad. You know, things like Oreo are, are proving quite popular in, in, in markets like uh, uh, China. And you know, th- again, this is a move that has proved has our, this is a model that proved successful. For example, for Altria, which split off their income-producing North American cigarette business from their global growth Philip Morris International business, and and again, both those companies have done wonderfully since that split. 
And I would say for people relying on their portfolio to deliver income in a low interest rate environment, the North American business, if you can get a 3 4% yield out of it, could be very appealing. It might even be higher than that, It Charlie. could be. Yeah, because I mean, yeah. like I said, they don't have a lot of uses for capital in North America, so they can really spin off a lot to shareholders or pay off a lot to shareholders if they want to. Yeah, I think the greatest example, the greatest proxy for what Kraft is doing is what Pepsi did, I guess it was 12 years ago now, when they spun Yum! Brands off. And I think probably... The Tim Hansons of the world are going to focus on the, uh, the the global growth. I think you may get a, a better opportunity immediately with the grocery business, but longer term, I think that the uh, the global snack business is going to. I mean, th- this is going to be great for them. It's funny, actually, with Yum. You could even make the same argument that Yum today should do it again yeah. and split off because their North American stuff is really struggling. Yeah. Obviously, the Taco Bell beef quote beef in air quotes um, <laughs> story. No, that was confirmed. <laughs> was. Confirmed. Uh, has been dragging on North American performance, you know, but in China and India, they're putting up, you know, near 20% same-store yeah. sales growth, they could so obviously they could do it again. And Pepsi could do it again, too. Yeah. I mean, or they just, Frito-Lay is, you know, is, is a very different business than, than Pepsi. Some big numbers from Adidas. The company reported an 11% um, gain in second quarter profit thanks to growth in China and Europe. Adidas also raised its forecast for the year. Tim, Adidas racking up some big, big numbers. Um, were you surprised? Adidas. Adidas. <laughs> no, I'm not surprised. Adidas has been a, a very successful pick in global games for some time now. And the thesis is really simple and one you can still take advantage of today, which is that people treat it like a German-European company. And obviously, those are really out of favor right now. But you just look at the numbers, and they're just killing it in Latin America and China with their branded premium price sports apparel. And, and that's a real long-term story with, with staying power. But it's being treated like it's going to be you know, some Western European afterthought for, for, for the next 10 years. I think so many. I think Tim's exactly right. So many investors looking at macro themes, and so they do things. Say they say, "Get me out of Europe," and that's you know it's easy enough to do. You can sell everything in Europe, but then you ignore the fact that you have this company Adidas, and there there are a lot more that are European because they're headquartered there, but they generate a huge amount of revenues outside of Europe in the markets that people actually want to be in. Thursday was a rough, rough day for the biotech company Dendrion. Charlie, you showed me the chart earlier, and and I still feel queasy. It's awful. Shares fell more than 60% after after the company said that sales of its prostate cancer drug Provenge are growing slower than expected. So, Charlie, just break it down for us. What's going on here? I'd say talk about getting the rug pulled out from under you. If you bought Dendrion in 08 or 09, you're sitting on a 10 or 15x gain, and you just gave up two-thirds of that in one morning. That's pretty awful. Um, what happened is Provenge's sales are going to come in far short of what management said they were going to this year. They originally guided for 350 to $400 million, and people bought into that story because this is a one-of-a-kind treatment for people with prostate cancer that has metastasized. Uh, and they're not even going to do half of what they originally forecast, which is bad. That's bad, right? That's that's very bad. Um, the party line out of the company is that this is a cash flow issue for physicians who prescribe the drug. This costs, or it's not a drug, you know, Dendrion shareholders are going to yell at me for saying that. It's a immunotherapy, in air quotes. <laughs> Got to be uh, technically correct in this case. Oh my God. <laughs> Anytime you can use I, air quotes, I, yeah. twice on a podcast. You, you got to do it. Can, yeah. uh, so, Provence I sent some mocking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this costs $93,000, and doctors are on the hook to pay for that, and they are relying on Medicare and private right. insurers to pay that. And if they're nervous about the patient actually qualifying for reimbursement, 
reimbursement, they're going to be very hesitant to prescribe it. And so with Provenge just now uh, getting the reimbursement issue cleared up, management is saying that uh, the uptick is going to come, but that remains to be seen. Yeah, $93,000, and it's important to note that Provenge is not a cure for uh, metastasized prostate cancer. No. It's a life prolonger. So the average is, what, four months? A couple months, yeah, right. So $25,000 per month, you know. That's well, you know, on the bright side, Medicare at least has the money sustainably to pay for that. For oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Tim failed to use the air quotes, but yeah. yes. <laughs> I think my sar- the sarcasm detector is going off in, yes, in the yes. studio. Yeah. Now, now, Charlie, back to, back to that stock plunge. Then, are yeah. you are you buying at these levels? I mean, to be the contrarian here, is this a buying opportunity? I. Th- think probably so, actually. So you got about a $1.9 billion market cap on a company with close to $700 million in cash that truly has a one-of-a-kind treatment with no real competition in sight. Uh, so if management is correct that now that the reimbursement issue is cleared up and sales do start to tick up, um, this is actually very attractive if you're willing to hold through some ups and downs over the next two or three years. However, caveat, if this is a demand problem where patients aren't really convinced that Provenge is worth it, um, then no, this isn't going to do well. But I think it probably is worth taking a nibble here. But Charlie, don't you think that the issue with the management being wrong by half is... That's a huge problem. That's pretty meaningful. I think. If it's, you notice, the insider trading is in one direction over the... <laughs> the selling, is the that year. the selling direction? Yes. That's yes. in the yes. selling direction. <laughs> yes. Interesting. Yes. Point, hey, thank you. Point for <laughs> yes. Tim Hansen. Okay, so on a so roll today. Bill. Stepping yeah. stepping back from this, though, for for those of us who do not thankfully own Dendrion right now, but we've all had stocks that have gone down sharply. What do you do as an investor in terms of deciding when to hold them, when to fold them, when one of your stocks really plunges? I would say you don't make a panic gut rash decision, and you evaluate the information and you know act accordingly, um, but don't make a knee jerk reaction. Yeah, I think the key is just not to anchor. Uh, you know, it's, it's easy to say I paid X for this stock and I want to yeah. get X at least back out. But the point is, you got to win the game from where the game is starting that day. And you know, as Charlie said, if Dendry, if you're down 63% Gendrion because you bought it yesterday, uh, well, reassess the opportunity. You know, it's not the same opportunity that it was yesterday. Circumstances have changed. Yeah. yeah so yeah, when you do that reassessment, don't just forget what you paid. Yeah, I think the I I think that the real issue is that you have to look at what what the information was. What is it that they were telling you? And in this case, management was way off in their own assessment of the company. And that, to me, is a red flag. I mean, that, to me, suggests a company that doesn't really have control over certain elements of the of, of the business. And so, you know, does that make it 66 percent you know, less valuable than it was yesterday? I mean, I don't know, but, you know. Just well, don't be in denial that the circumstances denial. have changed. The, yeah. the it's not the same situation it was. Or that they're either not understanding the business or they're being disingenuous with yeah. their communication, and neither option is good. Yeah. Well, on a much, much lighter note. Um, <laughs> than, <laughs> than cancer? Yeah, yes, than cancer. Yes. What a, <laughs> that was a professional research quality <laughs> Thank transition. You. Thank You're you. welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Ta- tapes are available. Um, this is probably not a big concern for Facebook investors, but GQ has named Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg the worst dressed man in Silicon Valley. Now, we should add. And that's that, a murderer's row of well dressed. Yes. Guys. Well, well, Steve Jobs was second on the list, so this could be a bit of a contrary indicator. How about one piece of advice for Mark Zuckerberg on what not to wear if he wants to improve his standing with GQ? And feel free to reflect back on your own fashion history. Charlie? 
Ooh, I would say the uh, socks pulled up to your knee with like the uh, primary color stripes on them is a is a not to wear. Charlie, didn't you used to have a mullet? I used to. Yeah. It was actually a permed mullet in Yarmir Yager style when Is I played right? hockey. See? Oh, I have some great like <laughs> junior high school era hockey pictures with my permed mullet. It's pretty awesome. And, and was there an epiphany where you said, this is no longer working for me? Or how did that decision? Well, when you go into high school and you're interested in girls and girls don't like that, you kind of change. Okay. Yeah. Tim? I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've peaked. I think we have to end the show now. I think... put, put the mic down and walk off the stage. I think Zuckerberg could rock a mullet, though, don't you think? He could probably pull it off. I mean, at this point... The Belichick look's not working for him. No, that's true. But, but you know what? At the end of the day, I think when it comes to a situation like this, you just have to assess. Do I want to be popular with GQ or do I want to be popular with some other uh, demographic? Yeah. And I have a feeling he's doing okay with some of the other demographics in Silicon Valley. <laughs> yeah, not a pressing concern. Okay, Tim Hansen from Motley Fool Global Gains, Charlie Travers from Motley Fool Hidden Gems, and Bill Mann from Motley Fool Asset Management. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. As always, people on this program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so please don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.